Let's all turn our Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to begin reading in verse 21, so I'd ask you to go ahead and flip there with me. If the Lord's been good to you this week, say amen. Amen. I heard a pastor preaching this last week, and he said, uh, the only reason why you shouldn't come to church is if God hasn't been good to you. And, uh, and God's been good to us, and so we're here to worship Him and thank Him uh, for all that He's done, to, uh, to praise Him for all that He is. And so I want that to be our focal point this morning. As we are looking in Matthew chapter 5, we're going to begin reading in verses uh, 21 and 22. And we're actually going to be skipping around a little bit. Last week I had you mark several verses in your Bible, if, if you do that, and uh, or write some things down. But we're going to skip around to some of those verses today. And I want you to just follow along with me. Beginning in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, it says, You have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Now skip on down to verse 27 with me. He says, You have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Verse 28, But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. Skip on down to verse 31. It has been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. Look on with me down to verse 33. Again, you have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. Verse 34, But I say unto you, Swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Turn on down with me to verse 38. He says, You have heard that it has been said, An eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. Verse 39, but I say unto you that you resist not evil. Skip on down with me to 43 and 44. You have heard that it has been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despisefully use you and persecute you. And then the last verse of the chapter, verse 48, let's look at that. He says, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Let's bow to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the day that you have given. We thank you for this opportunity to worship you this morning in your house with your people. God, we thank you for the word that we've read. and We know that there are some great truths here that we need to uh, dig into and that need to be applied to our hearts. God, I know that you want to speak to every heart and every person that is here today. And Lord, I pray that you'd help our hearts be receptive to that. Help us to listen to what your Spirit says to us. Listen for that still, small voice that may be showing some correction or, uh, or leading to a change. And God, I pray that we'd be receptive to that. Thank you so much for all that you've done for us, especially for Christ, who died on the cross for our sins. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. As we read through these verses, the very last verse that we read in verse 48 is very bold. Jesus said that we are to be perfect even as our heavenly Father is perfect. Now, I've been telling you for a while that as we look through the, 
the Sermon on the Mount, we're talking about a kingdom, and we're talking about a kingdom of excellence, the kingdom of heaven, and, uh, and we are a part of that kingdom, and God does expect excellence out of us. And again, this statement is very bold for us to be perfect even as our Heavenly Father is perfect. Well, we know that it's not possible in the sense that we use the word perfect today. It's not possible for us to be perfect, is it? Nobody is perfect but, but Christ. But the word here literally means to be complete or to be mature. Now, you may not ever reach perfection in this life, but you ought to reach maturity in this life. We've got too many Peter Pan Christians that never want to grow up, and they're satisfied with where they are with the Lord. But, but we find that life, regardless of where you are or how far you have gone, that there is still maturing that needs to be done. As a matter of fact, as long as you live, there are going to be trials in your life. And as long as there are trials, there needs to be growth. That's why they're there. And so we, we must look at that, that, that God wants us, Christ wants us, to be mature, to be complete in our salvation and complete in our purpose that he has given us. It indicates, though, that in the current religion of, that Jesus was addressing, the Jewish religion in his day, that there was a lot of immaturity uh, in that religion of the day. He, he would not have said, be mature, even as your Father in heaven is mature, if there wasn't some immaturity that was going on in God's people at the time. You see, the people of Israel uh, in those days were not getting the whole counsel of God. The Bible teachers of the day had been missing something. I mean, they, they, they were learned, they, had, they were educated, very educated in the Word, and they had gone to school, they knew all the right things to say, they knew all the right words, but they were missing something. There was something they were not conveying to the people. Jesus had been teaching about a kingdom, God's kingdom. It's termed as the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And his teaching thus far has been very clear that the kingdom of God is not simply another list of religious rules and regulations. And I think Jesus was very careful to let his people know that as we begin this kingdom, listen, you've got a very burdensome religion that you're already in, he was saying to these Jews. There's already a huge list that you've got to follow Understand, I'm not handing you another list. I'm talking about a way of life. And that's what Christianity is supposed to be. Not just a, another religion or another list of rules, but it's a, it's a lifestyle, it's a way of life that we live through the king. Or, in other words, that the king lives through us. This is a kingdom not of lines then, but of life and of liberty and of love. God's word is eternal and unchanging. You agree with that? So in establishing this kingdom, Jesus did not set out to change what the Bible said or meant. And, and we must be very careful as we go through this, these lists of things that we've already read today, where he says, it has been said such and such, but I say unto you. He was not changing what the Bible said or meant. Rather, his purpose was to teach its full meaning. In other words, the teachers of those days, the ones that had been dictating what the Word said to them, what the Bible said to them, were, were only giving them parts and pieces of what the Bible was really talking about. But Jesus was delivering unto them not only the letter of the law, but the spirit that was behind the laws that they were to be keeping. Now, in order to get this point, Jesus used six illustrations found in verse 21 through 28. 
You see, Jesus was trying to teach them that this list of rules, this to-do list that they had in order to be good Jews or to be good, uh, good people of God, he said, listen, life is supposed to be more than that. There, there is more than just following the rules. In fact, your teachers have even misinterpreted the very rules that you're supposed to be following. And so he gives six illustrations of, of why that is or how that is, six examples of how the, the law had been misinterpreted, and then he gave the correct interpretation of those laws in verses 21 through 28. Now, I said all that to say this. We could just jump right into this. We could just jump right over to uh, verses 21 through, uh, through, down through the next several verses and talk about anger and, and all those other things, but uh, there are two really good reasons why we should pause today and look at all of these things as a whole. First of all, we should do that because we need to establish, first of all, the main principle that is found in each of these illustrations. There, there, is, a, uh, there is a line that runs right through all of these, a, main, uh, a thought line, a line of thought that runs through all of these. We must grab that thought first, and then we'll be able to look at them properly. Now, the second reason why we should look at this today is because I would feel very uncomfortable preaching about adultery on Mother's Day. Okay, there's just something wrong with that. So we're not going there. Uh, we're going to go ahead and, and uh, cover. We're going to look at all six today. We're going to have Mother's Day and have a wonderful time for all of our mothers next week, and then we'll come back and start dealing with anger and all those other things that are mentioned in the Sermon on the Mount. So we are going to look at these six as a whole today, come back to them a little bit later. Now, before we get started, I guess I better show you uh, what this message has to do with the really cool title that I gave it. And I had to think long and hard about that title, so I guess I better explain what I mean. Draw the line. Drawing the line is the, uh, the title of our message today. You know, I've always been inspired by the bold leaders uh, who, in, at a time of making a decision, have drawn a line in the sand and dared people either to stand on one side or the other. You're either going to be on that side or you're going to be on this side. And so they draw this clear line in the sand, and, and then you're, you're put with that, you know, that, that very scary decision of which side am I going to stand on? And you've got to determine then either what your principles are or who you think is going to win at the end of that battle. And, uh, and so that, that clear line is drawn in the sand. That line says that you're either for me or against me. You're either with me or you're not with me. And I think that there are definitely some times in, in our life with Christ that we need those clear lines drawn and we've got to decide, are we going to be on this side or are we going to be on the other? Uh, Elijah had to, call, had to draw that line one time because he had people that were messing around with idolatry and they had left the worship of God as it should have been. And so he said, listen, it's time to draw the line. You're either on, you're either on the Lord's side or you're not. And so he, he said, but choose you this day who you're going to serve and get on the right side of the line. And so there are times when that line must be clearly cut or clearly drawn in the sand. But listen, when it comes to serving God, I have found that most Christians, when it comes to the rules and what we're supposed to be doing, we want a clear-cut line in the sand of what is right and what is wrong. They want to know where is the line. Show me exactly where the line is so, so that I know what is acceptable to God and what is not acceptable to God. And whether you realize it or not, Jesus is actually dealing with that in these six illustrations. So I want to, uh, to just cover a couple things this morning 
and I hope that you'll follow along with me and, uh, and, and go through this journey uh, through these verses today. But I want us to look, first of all, at why you want the line. Because we all want the line, don't we? We all want somebody to, to say, this is acceptable, this is not acceptable. We, we all want that line. Now, being a pastor, I love to talk about the Bible. Uh, as a matter of fact, sometimes people will start conversations about the Bible with me, and about halfway through that conversation, I see that I have lost them somewhere because uh, they were enthused, but they weren't that enthused. And so, uh, you know, uh, I have to, to watch myself sometimes because I, I could just continue and, and on and on and on. I love talking about the Bible. Discussing Scripture is one of my passions. And if you have ever been in any of my classes or anything that I've ever taught, you, you're going to see an emphasis on discussion. I love talking about God's Word, and I think that's how we learn. And people always think that they're bothering me with Bible questions. You know, they'll say, well, I, I would ask you a question. I'm, I'm just afraid I would bother you. But I want you to understand that uh, I am more bothered when people don't ask me Bible questions than, than when they do. Because if you're asking me questions, it means you're in the Word. And if you're not asking me questions, then I, I have to wonder, you know, are you, are you in the Bible or are you just uh, understanding it better than I do? Because I've got a lot of questions about the Bible. And, and I think it's really fun to discuss those things. Yet, let me say this, that nine times out of ten, when someone does come to me with a question about the Bible, it's not a question about life. It's a question about lines. Pastor, this is, this is just some examples, not of actual questions, but of the kinds of questions that we will get. Pastor, how many times do I have to forgive somebody? That's what we, we want to know. Draw a line and tell me how many times I have to forgive somebody. Now, now Jesus said 70 times 7, so that's 490 times. i got somebody creeping up on 485, and I need, no, I need to know what to do when they hit 490. You know, I mean, do, do I punch them in the face when they hit 491? What do I do when they get to that point? Where is the line? How do I draw that? Uh, you, you know, when the Bible says tithe, does that include tax refunds? You know, where's the line? Where, where do I draw this? Can I move in with my girlfriend as long as we don't share rooms? That's the kind of questions that, you know, that, that come up. And uh, I would love to believe that we want those lines drawn so clearly because we want to stay as far away from them as we can. I was uh, driving to school the other day. I teach over in Brandon, Florida on Tuesdays. Uh, and I, I was driving the other day, and they were doing some road constructions, and they had the big concrete dividers over on this side, and there was a school bus, and the driver must have been texting or doing something. I don't know what he was doing. He was all over my side of the road, though. And, uh, and so here I am, and I'm, I'm kind of squished in between the bus and uh, the, uh, the concrete dividers over here. My lines were drawn very clearly, but I assure you, I was heading right down the middle. You know, I didn't want anything to do with that bus or with the concrete on the other side. And so I would love to think that the, the reason why we want the lines drawn so clearly is so we can find out where they are and stay right in the middle and not, you know, not have to worry about bumping uh, into anything. That should be what our motives are, but let's be honest, usually it's not. You see, the reason why we want the line drawn so clearly is so that we can get as close as possible to them without crossing. Because as long as we haven't crossed them, then we haven't done anything wrong. And so, Pastor, how many times do I forgive somebody? 
490, Jesus said. That is literally what he said, 70 times, 7 times, 490. And so there's your line. As long as, as long as you don't punch somebody before 491, you're okay, you know. But after 490, all is fair game. You know, that's, that's how we want to look at life. We, w- we want to have those lines clearly drawn so we can bump up as close to them as possible. As long as we don't cross the line, then we haven't sinned, and we are still righteous in God's eyes. Do you see that as a problem? I want you to know that it's not a new problem. In fact, that is exactly what Jesus is addressing in these six illustrations that he gives. You see, the teachers of the law at that time had taken the commandments of the Bible, and they had drawn distinct lines in the sand. They could dance all around it. Uh, As long as they didn't commit the act, they had not sinned, and therefore they could feel righteous. And so the, the Bible says, do not commit murder. And so as long as I don't kill you, I can do anything else that I want to do to you, right? I mean, I can accuse you, I can talk bad about you, I can hate you, I can gossip about you. Man, I can, I can uh, you know, call everybody up and tell them what a sorry dog you are. And, and uh, I mean, I can do all those things. As long as I don't physically kill you, then I'm okay. God the line says don't kill, and I haven't done that. We could go on with several other illustrations. He talks about adultery. He talks about loving your enemies. He talks about retaliation. He talks about all the uh, several other different things. And what they had done is they had drawn these lines in the sand again. And as long as they didn't cross them, then it was okay. And, and even they found they found ways to to even be involved in in more kinds of unrighteousness. But as long as they didn't cross those clear lines then everything was fine. I think it's interesting how we can go back and look at the Pharisees of Jesus' day and compare it to many churches and many Christians and those clear lines that we like to draw. Man, we we are experts at justifying our own sins and our own unrighteousness. It's not gossip as long as it's true. <laughs> you see, where this comes in is, is the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law. Now, let me first define what I mean by the two. The letter is the clear-cut rules. That's where we say Jesus said 490. That is, that is all I have to do. If somebody slaps me on one cheek, I turn on the other. When they slap me on the other one, it's on after that, okay? All I have to do is give them two slaps, and it is on. And we we like those clear-cut lines, and and that is the letter of the law. The law says don't kill, so we don't kill, and we haven't done anything wrong. The spirit of the law, rather, talks about the intention behind the rules. Now, if we were to look at the Ten Commandments, there's a whole bunch of different commandments, and they all say don't, almost. Almost all of them say, don't do this or don't do that. And, and so there, there they are, clear cut, right there for us. But when we look at the law a little more clearly, when we, when we think about the intentions behind the law, why should we not kill somebody? Why should we not steal from them? Why should we love the Lord? Why, why all these different things? Why should we not uh, you know, take it or, or dismiss the Sabbath today? Why is that so important? 
it's not so much the, the letter, so much the rules as it is the intention behind the rules. So if we're going to talk about don't kill, the reason why we should not kill is because we shouldn't hate people. And so if you hate somebody in your heart, if you despise somebody in your heart, if you can't stand someone and hear, if every time you look at them, bad thoughts come to your mind, you've already killed them, Jesus says. You've already committed murder in your heart. And he says that is just as condemnable as the act itself. And so God is not always so concerned with the letter of the law as he is the spirit of the law. As a matter of fact, as we get into that uh, on the anger part, we'll see that, uh, that Jesus went on to several different degrees that we can, uh, we can uh, be, be judged for our attitudes and our actions, uh, not just our actions, excuse me, but our attitudes and our words towards people. Now we'll read the verses today to get an idea of how Jesus interpreted the rules compared uh, to how they had been interpreted by those Pharisees and scribes of, of the past. Jesus knew that the actions of a person are only the reflection of what is in the heart. So we may go through these as we, we touch on these six different things, and we may wonder, well, is, does he really mean that? I mean, is, is thinking something bad against somebody, is it really as bad as murdering somebody? Is, is looking at a woman in lust really as bad as committing adultery with her? Is, uh, is uh, you know, we can just go on through the rest of these, and we can really ask those questions. Is, is the intent of my heart, are they really as bad as the actions that come out in my life? Well, this is the point that Jesus was getting to. Listen, if you have a heart of anger, and that goes unchecked, it will eventually lead to murder. Or it can. There are a whole bunch of people in prison, I guarantee you, who have killed, and they said, I never thought that I would do something like this. But what happened, anger was out of control, and it eventually led to an action. You see, Jesus knew that the, the lust in the heart, go, if it goes unchecked, it will eventually lead to adultery. A heart of dissatisfaction in marriage will lead to divorce. And a clear heart of vengeance will lead to retaliation. It's where the heart is. So he said, it's not just what you do, but it's what's in here as well. Jesus clearly demonstrated in these teachings that the desires of the heart are just as condemnable as the actions that they lead to. But oh, how we love to draw those lines in church. We, we love to have those clear-cut ones, and, and we want to know, you know, how, where's the line so I can scoot up as close as I possibly can to it? And, uh, and, and that's why we go and search. I mean, we'll search the Scriptures, but it's for to, to find where the lines are. You know, uh, oh, whew, I haven't sinned yet, you know. You see, what the lines do is the lines remove the heart from the equation. If I know where the lines are, then that's all that I need. If I know what the rules are, if I know what the, the, the rules say, and I do those, then that's enough. And so when the Bible says obey, then when I have that clearly cut line, now I can obey God without really loving Him. The Bible says go to church or attend church. 
Now I can come to church without really worshiping Him because it doesn't matter whether I worship Him or not. I showed up and that's enough. The Bible says tithe. So now I can pay God without really appreciating Him. The Bible says pray. And so now I can talk to God without really adoring Him. You see what I mean? We, we love to have those rules so we can follow the rules and feel better about ourselves, feel righteous within our own actions and our own efforts, but that is not what God desires. It is not what He longs for in us. You see, the rules are important. Let's, let's not throw the rules out. The rules are important, right? The lines are important. Matter of fact, transgression means crossing the line. When you cross the line, you do sin. The point we're getting at is, is what is our motive behind knowing what those lines are? Is it so we can bump up as close as possible or so we can get as far away from those lines as we can and stay close to Jesus? What, what is our heart? Where is our motives in this? You see, Jesus said this. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. But I believe what Jesus is saying here is, is saying, keep my commandments, but only if you love me. I don't want your heartless work. I don't want your heartless efforts. I don't want your heartless attendance. I want you. I want your heart. I want you to love me as your creator and your God. Listen, if your life is spent trying to live by the rules without loving the ruler, then you will always be a miserable Christian. I think one of the greatest examples of the letter versus the spirit is when Jesus answered a Jewish lawyer. who had asked him the question, Jesus, what do you think about the rules? Dissect them for us. Tell us, what is the greatest commandment? Which one of these rules is most important? And Jesus says, okay, well, there's two. The first one is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. And love your neighbor as yourself. You see, if all you've ever done is just gone on Sabbath day, <laughs> if all you've ever done is just, uh, is just prayed to God or just talked about God or abstained from idols, if all you've ever done is, is kept yourself back from killing somebody or stealing from somebody, all you've ever done is just abstain from what is wrong, that's not what God desires. You see, but what's behind every one of those is that you love God first and that you love your neighbor as yourself. The spirit of the law is love. And the spirit of the law brings life. Now before we leave here, I want us to talk for just a moment about life in the lines. It's easy for me to make you feel bad about only caring about the lines, isn't it? And I don't want us all to leave here wounded today. It would be cruel for me not to tell you what life is like within the lines. 
If we began to look at the Christian life as a set of rules that are keeping us from a life of joy, we've missed the whole point to this. Uh, and that's what we do. We, we view Christianity, we view the Bible as just a list of stuff we can't do anymore, right? And uh, I was reading a, a book the other day, and, and it was actually kind of a, it's supposed to be funny. It's a, it's a book about Christians, though, and stuff, it's called Stuff Christians Like. And uh, he was talking about, uh, you know, people giving testimonies. And, and uh, when they stand up to give testimonies, they'll, they'll, start, they'll start out with, man, you know, I used to do this, and I used to do that, and I used to do this and that, and I had so much fun, and, man, I went out and I partied, and I did all these other things and just had a great time, and then I got saved. That's it. <laughs> My life was over after that, you know. Couldn't have any more fun because, uh, because I had to follow Jesus now, and I got this big list of stuff that I can't do anymore. And, uh, you know, I think that is very... Uh, <laughs> I think it's very true to how many Christians look at their life now. Man, if I'm going to follow God, I can't do anything anymore. But let me refocus your lenses for a second this moment. Listen, if you're looking back at your past, if you're looking back at all the stuff you used to do and all the fun you think you used to have, I want you to realize that there is no joy in sin. It's all a sham. It's all a lie. <laughs> It will always, every time, it will always leave you empty and ashamed. There's no joy at the end. There's no pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. You're going to be robbed every time. The Proverbs tells us that the blessings of the Lord, however, come with no sorrow. I could chase after the things I want. I could change after all, chase after all the stuff that God says I can't do anymore. I could chase after all the, the fun I think I used to have, but at the end there's going to be emptiness. There's going to be sorrow and guilt and shame at the end. But if I will just enjoy and be content with the blessings of God, listen, not only am I going to have true joy in life, but there's no sorrow at the end. That means that when we live within the lines, we can enjoy all the blessings of God that we want and we'll never wake up with a hangover. It's guilt-free. Like you'll play. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, that the whole purpose of the gospel is to bring us into the glorious liberty of the children of God. You see, this is the point we need to get. God didn't take us out of the world and put us in prison. He didn't take us from freedom and put us in prison. He took us out of prison and gave us freedom in Christ. I mean, this life is supposed to be more fun than anything that I ever could have enjoyed out there. There was once a boy who had grown up on the streets as an orphan. He had no one to love him. No one cared. He lived by no rules. A man saw him one day and had compassion on him. And so he took the boy home and he cleaned him up and he adopted him as his own child. The boy was grateful and he loved his new family. 
while running around in the yard one day with all his new brothers and sisters, he noticed large signs posted on the fence that completely surrounded the house. One said, no lying. Another said, no tattling. He walked along the fence, and the rules continued, no stealing, no cussing, no punching, and so on. Every day while the other kids ran and played and enjoyed their home, this young man would walk the fence line every day and read the signs with sorrow. No cussing, no lying, no stealing, so on and so forth. He did this every day until one of his new brothers took notice and he went to see what was up. He said, what's wrong? The boy said, I'm bored. I can't do anything. His brother looked puzzled. He says, what do you mean? The boy said, look at the signs. I can't do any of the stuff that I used to. His brother laughed and took him by the shoulders and turned him around from the fence to an open yard filled with slides and toys and a house in the middle where his new father was seated on the porch. And he said, yeah, but look at all the stuff you can do now. so much more with Christ. There's so much more that he has to offer. So, there, there's joy unspeakable. There's, there's fulfillment in life with Christ that you're never going to find out there. Stop walking the fence and, and worrying about the signs and, and complaining about all the stuff you can't do anymore. Christ has got more for you. He wants you to enjoy him. Stop looking at your life and Christ is as a prison, and start looking at the freedom that God has given you within the lines. Let me close by saying this. When we draw the lines, we like to do one of the two things with them. We either love the lines because we think they justify our sin, or we hate the lines because they keep us from having fun. But what I'm telling you is that life is not about the lines. It's about a life with God. It's not about what we can't do or what we can get away with. It's about the purpose that Christ has for us now. Christ wants to show you how to enjoy life within the lines. And so, yes, lines are drawn. And God has clearly drawn them in his word. Those are boundaries. And the signs do, do give us some things to, uh, to uh, things that we can't do. And they say, you, you shall not do this, you shall not do that. And there are some other signs that says, keep out, don't cross this line. But you see, the joy is not there. The joy is in the middle, in the center of God's will. When we get away from the lines and get closer to God, we're going to find true joy in life. We're not going to care about all the stuff we think we can't do anymore. There's going to, we're going to have a new motive, a new purpose. And I want you, I want to, encourage you to begin looking at life that way. Look at your life in Christ that way. Let's stand this morning. I want to ask us for a verse of invitation. and This invitation is just an opportunity for you to respond to what God's Word has said. We're going to ask every head to be bowed, every eye closed, music to begin playing. Maybe you have been searching for some clear-cut lines in your life. You've been asking God or seeking in God's word, where, where is the line? What is right and what is wrong? 
And in finding those lines, perhaps you find, you find yourself this morning having eased as close as you can to that, as close as you can to sin, and, and thinking that somehow you're justified because you haven't yet stepped over that line. I want you to know two things. You keep bumping against that line, you are going to cross it one day. It's going to happen. You can't play with it. You don't toy with sin. But I want you to know that if your heart is really across that line, you've already sinned against God. If your longing is to do the things that your flesh wants to do, the things that that your own selfish desires wants to do, you've, you've already sinned against God in your heart. So what God's asking you to do is to turn away from the lines and turn back to Him, to grow closer to Him, to take steps, conscious steps towards Him today. Put your heart in the right place. To be used of Him. I don't know your heart this morning. I don't, I don't know how God may have used this message to speak to you, but I do know that if he's speaking to your heart, he's letting you know some changes need to be made, it's time to do that right now. I simply ask that you'll respond to God's Spirit this morning.